Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their insights. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about autism stories. Most of the time, myself and the team that puts together each episode of Autism Stories were hard at work looking for guests. However, now and then we get someone who emails us and wants to tell their wonderful story and such is the case for this episode. Amanda Bancroft joins this episode to discuss listening to others, autism stories, social entrepreneurship, and tiny houses. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Amanda, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. And let's kind of start off our conversation. Can you share where your story in the autistic community begins? Yeah, well, I was diagnosed as an adult, but the real beginning to my story was when I was a toddler. I had trouble like learning to swing on a swing set, tie my shoes, ride a bicycle, making eye contact with my first grade teacher. I wanted to cut the tags off all my clothes, and I was sensitive to noise, like from fireworks or parades and typical signs like that. I think, though, it really dawned on me when I graduated from college and my life was no longer just about earning good grades. And I tried so many jobs, <laughs> food service, clothing, retail, grocery, cashiering. I was a secretary for a while and every time either my sensory or social issues would make me leave the job. So, and I was still having motor skill issues in my daily life. And my sensory issues were also making it uncomfortable for me to attend certain social gatherings. So after I joined the autism community, I just found a ton of peace and empowerment. And I accepted my autism and started learning from this community that I was okay and I was acceptable just the way I was. And if I really wanted to do something or go somewhere that I could accommodate myself or ask for accommodations. So for example, I carry earplugs inside of a case in my pocket or backpack everywhere I go. And if it gets too loud, like at church or at a parade, I just pop my earplugs in and I no longer have to appear rude by covering my ears or leaving in the middle of a movie. I found it much easier to have healthy boundaries and much stronger close friendships that have lasted many years. And I gave up the job search and began my own business as well as freelance writing and you know, what we call diversifying income streams. And life is much less stressful now. It's more beautiful now that I'm a part of the artistic community. To uh, take people behind the scenes a little bit, this, mm -hmm. you know, our conversation today is a result of you reaching out to me, which I was so thankful for, because uh, you've been listening to Autism Stories for quite a while now. And I was wondering hearing from you about that, I was 
wondering why you keep listening and if there were maybe some particular episodes that were especially meaningful to you. Yes, I get tons of ideas and encouragement from autism stories. And I still feel like I haven't listened to every episode. I need to continue trying to listen. I'm pretty new to the podcast world. It's only been in the last year that I've upped my game and started pursuing more podcasts and learning how to use them. Like I'm still learning the basic buttons and things and tools, but especially since Autism Stories often focuses on autistic entrepreneurs, artists, that's been encouraging to me. And one of the most inspiring recent episodes was um, the interview with Margot Wasp, who's similar to me, sells to retailers, a whopping 40 of them. <laughs> and that's motivational because I've only at most worked with 15 retailers. And during COVID lockdown, so many of the stores closed. I'm now down to three and trying to build that back up again. So Margot described the challenges of function skills as well as handling rejections from stores uh, by reaching out to 10 more stores for every one rejection. So that sparked me to reach out to like over 30 stores this year. And the quote from Margot too about not being able to just go to sleep if they worked for a boss. Yep, that's like meeting my physical needs is one of the main reasons that I chose self-employment. And there's a bunch of other episodes as well. Your recent interview with Justice Philbrew had a profound quote for me. Everyone is allowed to have their opinions, but those aren't my responsibility. So I'm still chewing on that one. I think that's a healthy place. Yeah, I I learned something from each one of these um, conversations, certainly. So... I really love, um, you know, you're talking about entrepreneurs. Certainly, I interview a lot of those folks on Autism Stories. You know, I really love entrepreneurs and businesses that are trying to do good for the world, which leads me to your business, um, Ripple's Greeting Cards. So from what I understand, you created, you create hand-drawn artwork printed on sustainable greeting cards to raise money for nature nature conservation. So what kind of went into your decision to use your artistic and writing skills to hopefully make the world a better place? My husband, Ryan, and I make almost all our decisions through the Ripples lens, through that lens that you talked about, make the world a better place. And so that involves asking ourselves, like, what do we want to do with our time, our resources, and how might we do so in a way that helps other people or the environment, which I see those two as the same thing. They're not separate causes. What's out there is also in here and vice versa. It's very interconnected. But in 2011, when we started Ripples, that's when we started asking ourselves, how can we make a difference in little ways or big ways with all these forces that people face in their day-to-day life, like where to live and what job we want to do, what food to eat, what products to buy, all sorts of decisions. And if, if your listeners are curious about ripples and what kinds of questions we ask ourselves, they're listed on the FAQ of our website. So for me, I was, I was like going through the process of, okay, I love to draw and write. How can I keep doing this even more, but help offset the cost of conservation work here that we do out here? So after trying out a bunch of jobs in the art industry, like I've done commissions, pet portraits, illustrated a children's book, designed a logo, stuff like that. 
Greeting cards were really what I wanted to do. I am very passionate about greeting cards. And cards are about human connection across distances, as well as these affordable little pieces of art that's accessible to the masses. And I saw how people reacted to my work and heard stories from customers. One person in Texas framed a couple of cards on their wall and sent me a picture. Another person said her brother had placed one of my cards on his nightstand in hospice. So when he was awake, he could see that and be comforted. And I've seen a couple of local businesses put my cards on their walls. I, I had a lady <laughs> buy a Halloween card for her sister because each year they compete to see who can find the best Halloween card, and she thought she'd win with mine. And I would love to know if she actually won. I didn't hear back after that. But all these customer stories like helped me make the decision that this was the best direction for me to make it an impact in the really limited way that I'm able to do with my art. And it's also deeply personally meaningful to me to dedicate poems on the backside of my cards to people in my life who made a difference to me. Yeah, so like through our ripples process, like I figured out that I could print the cards sustainably, use the profit to offset costs of conservation purchases that we do, like native butterfly milkweed or uh, Ascopius tuberosa is the Latin name, which we planted out here. So the cards fund purchases like that. And great news, by the way, from the monarch butterfly community that the numbers are back to normal this year. I was excited to talk to you today because you live somewhere that I've thought about living for a long time, and that is a tiny house. What would you say are maybe, you know, maybe some of the pros and cons of living in a tiny house? Okay. Well, first, a disclaimer, we do not recommend that everyone lives as we do <laughs> in an off-grid tiny house. Actually, that would be a very impractical suggestion. So Ripples is not about tiny houses or the environment or any specific thing. It's just about making a difference with daily life, day-to-day -day life stuff. Like not one hour on a Saturday, but daily. So you get to decide your own goals. And in terms of pros and cons for tiny house living, I've actually written several Ripples blog posts, in-depth details on the pros and cons we've experienced for us here. I'll just throw out two examples. One of our cons is the energy inefficiencies of putting a house on a trailer with wheels. And one of our pros is enjoying our balcony all year round. I adore that balcony. So much fun. But I would say the pros and cons of tiny house living are very specific to the residents, in this case yourself, and the specific type of tiny house. So have you thought about what tiny house you want to live in? Well, I've always it's it's funny you ask me that because I've always one day want to sort of live in like a, a log cabin in the woods away from lots and lots of humans. But I guess the two things that sounds about, perfect. Yeah. Okay. There you, yeah. I guess the two things that I thought about what, why the tiny house at least seems appealing to me and not knowing a ton of information about it is from an executive functioning perspective of managing a house, like, just seems like houses are just too big for me um, and I would never want to live in an apartment again in my life just because of neighbors things like that which kind of leads to the the second thing like you know like sensory sensory needs and if a tiny house would be helpful in that regard 
Well, so I've spoken to a lot of different groups, but in terms of your audience in the autistic community, or people working with those in the autistic community, it's popular to have tiny houses to increase our independence, right? As a road to home ownership without having a huge mortgage, having a big house that you have to maintain. I've even seen it in the news where people have found much more independent living in like their family's yard, in their backyard, in a tiny house. Based on what you said, like with sensory issues and having less to maintain, just wanted to keep in mind, like if you're living with a family or other people and not alone, then the sensory issues will be much, much worse. And if you're living off grid, they will be much worse. <laughs> Actually, we have a name for our water pump. We named it Bowser after the Super Mario Brothers video game. <laughs> because it's so loud that it growls like the way Bowser does. And then if you're living with other people, you, you have this really small space. You consider it up underneath and the smell bothers. It doesn't bother me, but if you're cooking something, you'll smell it in the bed area, the bed lock work the bathroom it'll just go everywhere else if you have pets litter boxes everywhere so it's the sensory challenges are worse i think unless you're maybe living alone if you don't mind the smell of the dinner you made last night so permeating the air uh, which doesn't bother me i really enjoy this stuff actually like have the house smell of like spaghetti or muffins baking cookies or something yeah oh and the other thing that that what you said reminded me of. If you're going to have a tiny house, you still need the basic amenities. So the cost will reflect that. It may not be as cheap as expected, but in terms of exact function skills, it may not be as easy as expected because you still need to maintain your appliances that you would have in a big house. You still need to maintain your plumbing, sinks, shower, and toilet, or whatever you would have in a big house you would just basically end up having like fewer doors and less vacuuming and dusting, but not necessarily less maintenance, especially if you have like washer, dryer, refrigerator, and whatever off-grid systems that's a whole other layer. <laughs> hmm. Well, my spouse would never go for the tiny house anyway, but it is, it is good to hear some of those things. Uh, <laughs> not only do you live in a tiny house, but you live off the grid in a tiny house and work to protect the historic Johnson Farm in Arkansas. I'm curious, what makes this or any other farm uh, historic? Okay, for starters, it's listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And the land is also protected by a conservation easement held by the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust, super supportive partner of ours, and that makes sure there's no development on the property, so it can't be turned into apartment buildings or a gas station. It has to stay natural. Yeah, I guess that's short. And what, what type of things do you do to protect the uh, historic Johnson Farm? There are so many different project areas. I feel kind of like I spread myself too thin sometimes. We give presentations. We pick up litter and clean up trash dump sites, discourage poachers and trespassers. We install trail cameras and signage. We remove invasive plants like thistles. I've been doing a lot of that. 
document wildlife species, as many wildlife species as possible, and keep the roads clear of downed trees. I write articles about history, history of the farm, and also the natural environment. We work with wildlife rehabilitators to release rehabbed animals like turtles and opossums who really have nowhere else to go, safe to live. They need a protected place like this one. Yeah, I could go into detail on any one of these and more. Helping the environment isn't just about where you live, but also about the type of transportation that we use. So from my understanding, your transportation is an electric vehicle. What's been your um, experience with electric vehicles? I think it's been really positive and really neat. Our old car was nearing its end, but so we very spontaneously bought a used 2011 Chevy Volt with a V plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. That's also known as a hybrid car. And since it was about the same price as a, a used fuel car, we decided to go for a hybrid. I really like it, although I do not drive. Ryan loves driving it because it's like the first modern car with the full technology that we've ever had. So the first car we've ever had with a computer thing in it, like a monitor and all those touchscreen buttons. It's just a very new experience. He's, he's happy also not to be using so much gasoline, reducing our carbon footprint. But then it also saves us money at the same time because I think he's, he said he's used like five gallons of gasoline in the first two months we've owned it. So the downsides, though, you know, for any listeners considering hybrids or any type of chargeable electric vehicle, my experience has been that most people charge their cars at home. But the hard thing is that they are expected to be able to charge the car at home. And we cannot fully charge a car with our solar panels. <laughs> it, it's possible to do that, though. We just need a larger system and a less broken system, both, both of those things. Um, but the charging stations will not necessarily be available to you or in good repair, even if you have them in, in your city. They're not going to be in, in good repair or accessible. They might be blocked off. People will unplug your car while it's charging and you will not get your charge that day. It's complicated sometimes. You also need like different apps to each, each charging station. So we have four different smartphone apps to allow us to pay for the fuel and the parking at these different charging stations. So... The infrastructure is getting there, but it's not there yet. Mm -hmm. And actually, Ryan just wrote a, a Ripple's blog post with a ton of specific detail on this. You referenced your partner, and from my understanding, you've been married for about uh, 15 years. And I'm, I'm wondering about the tiny house and your lifestyle, if you think there are any ways that that has improved your relationship. I see this where this is going. You like to convince your wife, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this see, see, it, it, it's helpful. <laughs> it's it's helpful in all these different ways, you know, executive functioning. Uh, it'll, it'll improve our our relationship, our mental health. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, you know, like you don't have to get a tiny house to put everything in it. Get a tiny house as an office studio to record autism stories. <laughs> Or even as a way to travel with remotely, you know, I, I see that all goes back to what kind of tiny house do you want? Do you need the wheels? Do you need the foundation? Do you need spacious one? Or do you want basically a glorified camper trailer? So, you know, we get asked this question all the time, but it's always in a negative frame. It's awesome that you asked it in a positive frame because people ask us, like, you've been married.
married this long and you live in a tiny house, how do you do it? And my answer to them is always, we like each other. That's how it works. We like being close together. I don't really know of a, of a good answer. I'll try to answer this, but it seems to me like there are two angles to it. There's like the workload of ripples, the tasks, right, the tangibles, and then there's like the principles of it or the thought process behind ripples. So for the day-to-day workload and lifestyle, our tiny house is, is really cozy and designed to our specifications. It's a custom build. It's really comfortable for us and relevant to us. And the small space also forces us to immediately resolve any conflict and be considerate of the other person's needs. We can't go hide in a multi-story house with many rooms and doors. And so that's a benefit, I think. But that's not to say we don't have privacy because our balcony or like the window seat entertainment area, those sort of sections off. And then, of course, there's hundreds of acres of wilderness that we can enjoy. But unfortunately, I think that living off the grid has been more of a burden on the relationship. And that's separate to living tiny. You don't have to live off the grid in a tiny. I think it's been a burden because of, of how many utility problems we've had. But in the future, we hope to fix many of our utility issues, like electricity outages or running out of water and that's going to relieve much of the stress on our relationship so we can enjoy life we're just waiting for our landlady to approve of our utility repair projects hope is on the horizon so then like the other the other aspect of that question is the how has the principles or the thought process of it all like the lifestyle happens how does that improve the relationship i do think of ripples as more of a thought process and it's Beyond the day-to-day work stresses, I think I think it has improved our relationship and all the other relationships I have. It's kind of a whole new way of thinking about life. Actually, I, I feel like the only reason I'm speaking here to you on your show today is because I thought to myself that this Ripple's lifestyle is, is kind of improbable for anyone dealing with some of the more common struggles with autism, but some of us on the spectrum can make meaningful relationships. Not only that, but like change the world thanks to those connections. So believe it or not, it's, it's been my social context that enabled any of this to happen out here for us. And I am so grateful, extremely grateful to my close friends who supported us to make this possible. For instance, a friend that I met through my Unitarian Universalist Fellowship allowed us to lease land from her for the tiny house. And the brief PSA, I highly recommend to you groups, either online or in person, if you're feeling like you can't fit into the mainstream spaces because you use spaces that are tolerant, welcoming, and connecting for reasons like making friendships and so on. Not only did we meet our landlady there, but another friend I met in the Master Naturalists group but it's each state has their own master naturalist. That friend gave us a personal loan for the house, which we've almost paid off. No mortgage for us. And so it really is possible to make close friends and be married like 15 plus years. Both my husband and I are neurodivergent. And I think it's hard work that's kept our relationship healthy. That's the main reason we're thriving. But also it's just people. We're very compatible personalities. His skills are different from mine, so we've divided up the labor according to our choices. 
the shocker is that I ended up with all the social jobs, anything related to Ripple's outreach, scheduling tours, presentations, keeping in contact with friends, working through any conflict with any groups or individuals that come out here. And that's, that's highly incredibly stressful for me at times. But then I also have Ryan with close friends for emotional support. And so I decided to come on the show because I think it's important for our Pacific people to see ourselves represented in healthy, long-term relationships and friendships, making these connections that can change the world. Because that's so important to our mental health, but also in helping us to get a job or the homeowners. It's all about who you know, right? Yes, it is. And this is also part of our Ripple's question, like seeing our potential in a different way. Besides earning potential and counting friends, etc., I don't think anyone should assume they're unlovable or unworthy if they don't have any friends or a job right now. Because our worth is much deeper than that. We're all just temporarily able, but also temporarily friended and temporarily employed. So why base our worth on something that will change for all of us throughout life? And beyond uh, this interview, how can people connect with you and uh, learn about Ripples? Well, we have a website and a Facebook, and that link, you can add it to your description somehow, but it's makeripples.org, and that includes a blog, and eight years' worth of the newspaper column I wrote for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and a list of projects that we do up here. You can see photos of it are frequently asked questions and there's also a link to my art creative posts. And I will definitely make sure that ends up in the podcast description, uh, the website. Well, Amanda, thanks so much for joining me today. And I hope that um, in the future you continue to listen to autism stories. Oh, I will. Like, absolutely. Often I listen while I'm drawing. It's so, so cool. And it, I don't know if this is acceptable, but I would love to see an interview with Paul from Asperger's from the Inside, if you know about Paul. Mm -hmm. That would be really cool. Or the popular artistic Canadian artist. Have you heard of Piper Tipito? They're on Instagram. Yes, I have, yes. Yeah. Paul and Piper are both, like, so great. They're doing great work. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks so much to Amanda for the conversation. To learn more about Amanda, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. At Autism Personal Coach, we provide customized coaching for autistics. All of our coaches are either autistic or autistic selected for their commitment to trauma-informed and, neuro and neurodiversity-affirming strategies. They deeply understand burnout, sensory needs, executive functioning, and the importance of special interests. If you're interested in learning more about our coaching, please visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Till next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.